told Barry that was a perfect, perfect song to sing before uh, this, this lesson I want to share with you this evening. Uh, two weeks ago, last Sunday of uh, 2023, Tucker preached a lesson on six resolutions, six resolutions. I'll remind you of those. Read the Bible every day. Pray every day. Bring one lost soul to, to Christ. Don't miss worship or Bible class. Be involved with as many church activities as possible. Engage in acts of service regularly. And uh, his emphasis that night was how if we do these things, if we concentrate, if we resolve to, to do these things regularly, then we will grow. I have been thinking as a uh, some lessons that I thought Tucker and I might present this year would be on spiritual growth. And so we talked about it, and we decided we're just going to expound on these six for a few weeks on Sunday nights, Lord willing. And so I've been thinking about prayer, prayer. And it's amazing how, and I love to do this, when I have a topic or a scripture that I'm going to, to teach or preach a lesson on, when I have it in my mind for for a, pe a longer period of time in my studies, I, things just kind of pop out that I find, oh, that would be applicable. And that's happened uh, as I was preparing for this lesson. What I'd like to share with you tonight are just 10 statements about prayer. 10 statements about prayer. Some that I gleaned from other sources, some that to me uh, underscore or uh, identify some scriptural principles about prayer. And then uh, just some other quotes that people have made about prayer. But st 10 statements about prayer that I think underscore the importance of it. In my reading, this was my favorite that uh, I just came across. Prayer is an awesome opportunity to come into the presence of the living God. When I read that statement, I said, I've got to include that. In this upcoming lesson, prayer is an awesome opportunity to come into the presence of the living God. Have you thought about that? That that's what happens when we pray. We come into the presence of the living God in a special way. I thought about the golden scepter. In fact, I'm using that as the, the picture on all my PowerPoints, the golden scepter. And this goes back to Esther. You remember that wicked Haman uh, had seen that Mordecai the Jew had not bowed down to him, even though King Ahasuerus had given him a prominent position. And so Haman decided he was going to not only get rid of Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, out of Persia. So he had devised this wicked plot, got the king to uh, make this decree, not realizing that his queen, Esther, would be implicated in it. And so the decree is made and there's a date set that uh, the Jews are going to be annihilated. So Mordecai goes to Esther, urging her to go before the king to plead on behalf of the Jews. Esther is apprehensive. Um, in Esther 4, verse 11, she tells Mordecai, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one 
to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called in to go, go to the king these 30 days. I haven't, I haven't been summoned by him in 30 days. And, and to go into his, try to get into his presence without his invitation could be hazardous. It could be deadly. But then Mordecai makes that probably the best known statement in the book of Esther. He says, do not think in your heart, he says to Esther, his niece, that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So this is your opportunity who knows that God may have brought you to this place to, for this time, this opportunity to save your people in the land of Persia. Esther tells Mordecai to instruct all the Jews in Susa, the, the capital, to fast. And I am going to suggest, including with that fasting, would be praying to God uh, for favor, for God's favor, but also for favor from the king. Chapter 5 of Esther, we read these verses. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther came, went near and touched the top of the scepter. So he, he extends the golden scepter. Esther is able to come in and implement this plan to counteract the plan of Haman. And, uh, and it, by the providence of God, led to the salvation of the Jews from this planned annihilation thought of this golden scepter. You can't come into the, the presence of the king unless he extends the golden scepter. As a child of God, God's golden scepter, if you will, is always extended. He invites the child of God always to come into his presence as we, as we pray to him. And the golden scepter is none other than Jesus. Jesus is what makes our prayer to God possible. He is our means. He is our high priest, as the Hebrew writer says. Notice this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now notice verse 16. Let us therefore... Because we have this high priest who can sympathize with us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Through Jesus, we can come to God in prayer, into his presence. So prayer is an awesome opportunity to come into the presence of the living God. Statement number two. By the way, that was Tom Rayner. I was reading a book by him and found that quote and this one as well. 
Prayer is an incredible picture of the demonstration of God's desire to have fellowship with his creation. The very fact that God wants us to pray to him indicates that he desires to be in fellowship with us, to have a relationship with us. In fact, we need to have that relationship with with his son Jesus so that he can be our high priest as we go into the presence of God. But God wants us to pray to him. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. God instructed Judah through the prophet Jeremiah, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. In Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about prayer to his disciples. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. And then he gives these examples. Comparing the heavenly father to earthly fathers. What man is there among you if he asks for a bread will give him a stone? What kind of father would do that? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? What kind of father would do that? If you then, Jesus says, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Fathers, good fathers that is, provide good things for their children when they ask, when it's appropriate. He blesses with good things. But how much more will our heavenly father give good things to those who who ask him? Jesus, in teaching his disciples to pray, said, pray like this, our father. I love the words of that song that we just sang about there's a blessing in prayer and we'll find a father who who is ready to receive us there. That's not a direct quote, but that's close. But that really rang, uh, caught my attention. When we pray to the great God of heaven, the creator of the universe, we find a father who is waiting to receive us there. Statement number three, the last one from Tom Rayner. Prayer is our source of power to fight the schemes of Satan. Prayer is our source of power to fight the schemes of Satan. Schemes of Satan is a quote from Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul talks about the armor of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. We're in a spiritual warfare. Satan is a powerful enemy. And so we we need to equip ourselves. And how so? By adorning the the armor of God. And he goes on to talk about the the belt of truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the the feet shod with the press with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the helmet of salvation. You need all those those components of that spiritual armor in order to stand against the schemes of Satan. But that 
even all those pieces of armor are not sufficient without this next component. Praying always, he continues. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We need to have that prayerful connection with God for that strength, for that power to defeat uh, the schemes of Satan. Statement number four. Two words that should solve the matter of the importance of prayer. Jesus pray. Jesus pray. If Jesus pray, how important should it be to us? You go through the gospel accounts and you and you underscore the times that Jesus prayed, they're abundant. And I'm sure that not all of them are recorded, but some are. Let me highlight a few of those. At the beginning of Christ's public ministry, immediately following his baptism, he prayed. On the night before, he selected the 12 apostles. Luke tells us he, he went up on a mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer. Seems to me it's likely Jesus was praying for his apostles. Here's one, Matthew 14, 23. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there. At times, Jesus had to get away from the crowds and be alone with his heavenly father in prayer. Sometimes he got up early in the morning, Mark 1, 35. And in the morning, having, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary pray, place. And there he prayed. Over and over we see Jesus praying. Many times getting off by himself to pray. If he needed to pray, how much more Do we need to pray? At the conclusion of his parting message to the disciples, he prayed. John 17 contains the words of that prayer. Shortly before carrying his cross to Golgotha, he took Peter, James, and John to the garden and he prayed. Even on the cross, Jesus prayed. Jesus also gives us some wonderful principles of prayer, some instruction regarding prayer. And these next four statements are summary statements of principles he gives in the Sermon on the Mount just before the Lord's model prayer. Pray sincerely, Jesus says. Pray sincerely. Be genuine. When you pray, Matthew 6, verse 5, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. The hypocrites, those who play the part, they pray to be heard by people, by men. And if they're heard and appreciated in that way, they've received their reward. Don't pray to be to sound good to others, pray sincerely from the heart. So pray sincerely. Next, pray in solitude. Pray in solitude. But you, when you pray, Jesus says, go into your room or 
King James Version, I think, has the word closet. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, don't pray to be heard by others. Pray in solitude. Pray privately. Between you and God alone. Just like Jesus sent the multitudes away, went up on the mountaintop to pray. Pray in solitude. Next one, pray simply. Pray simply. When you pray, Matthew 6, verse 7, Jesus says, Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I heard a statement many years ago and have never forgotten that prayers, just like sermons, I guess, don't have to be eternal to be immortal. They don't have to be long. They don't have to, you don't have to use flowery language. Some of the most heartfelt prayers that have been prayed, even in Scripture, are very brief, simple. Peter sinking in the waters. Lord, save me. That's a prayer, isn't it? I love the parable of the publican and the tax collector, or the Pharisee. Publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee looks up to heaven and basically boasts to God how lucky God is to have him. But Jesus says the, the tax collector wouldn't even raise up, wouldn't even look up probably due to shame of his sins. And he said seven words, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Simple, but profound. Pray simply, pray simply. I love this one as, as well, pray securely, pray securely. Jesus says, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of, before you ask him. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, wrote this many years ago about this. If only we realized that we are indeed his children and that whenever we pray, it's like a child going to his or her father. He knows all about us. He knows our every need before we tell him. As the father cares for the child and looks at the child and is concerned about the child and anticipates the needs of the child, so is God with respect to all those who are in Christ Jesus. If only we could recognize God more and more as our heavenly father who knows us and care for, cares for us even more than the best father on this planet. Do not pray like one of those, like the heathens, like the hypocrites. For your Father knows what you need even before you ask. Then why ask? Some have posed this question. If God already knows what we need, why, why ask? I shared a little illustration with the folks at the nursing home. I tried out part of this lesson at the nursing home this afternoon. Imagine a little girl putting a puzzle together, four-year-old girl, let's say, and she's struggling with it, how to fit those pieces together. And her dad is, is watching this process. 
and just not saying anything, not making any suggestions, just watching and observing. And she keeps trying and she struggles. And, and so finally she says, Dad, will you please come help me put this puzzle together? So he go, sits beside her and together they complete the puzzle. Why didn't the father immediately step in to try to, to help his daughter complete the puzzle? Several potential answers. Perhaps the father wanted the daughter to see if she could do it herself, give her an opportunity to learn some things for herself. Or maybe the father was just waiting to be asked. Do you suppose that perhaps God waits to help us or waits to act until he is asked by one of his children? Why ask? Because every prayer is the cry of a child saying, Help, Father, I can't do this by myself. Why ask? Because God wants us to acknowledge our dependence upon Him. And in prayer, we're doing just that. We're doing just that. But when we pray, we can pray securely, knowing that we have a Heavenly Father who loves and cares for us. Statement number Nine, and there's ten statements. Cynthia Lewis, I don't know Cynthia Lewis, but I love her statement. If your day is hemmed in with prayer, it is less likely to come unraveled. If your day is hemmed in with prayer, it is less likely to come unraveled. Jesus, again in the Sermon on the Mount, I keep going back to that great sermon, talked about how we shouldn't worry. God takes care of the grass of the field. The flowers flourish under God's care. God takes care of the birds of the air. And Jesus' instruction to us is we should not worry because we are of much more value than they. And if God takes care of the birds and the flowers, the grass, can't he take care of us? And then Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness and all these things, the necessities of life will be added to you. But then he says this, verse 34, Matthew 6. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's enough trouble today, so why bring in tomorrow's trouble? But for the trouble for the day, if we hemmed in our days with prayer, if we begin with a prayer of thanksgiving to God and of of help from God for whatever's going to happen this particular day. And at the end of the day, we look back and we, we, we thank God for the blessings that we've experienced that day. And we thank Him for, for just helping us through the day. And we hemmed in our days with prayer. I like Cynthia Lewis' statement. Our, our lives, our days are less likely to become unraveled. Final statement. Martin Luther is credited with this statement. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer should be like breathing to the Christian. We can't survive without it. 
It should be our lifeline. It is our lifeline to God. So I want to close with four encouragements. Number one, pray at set times. Pray at set times. Go ahead and establish this habit. Maybe beginning the day with prayer. Ending the day with prayer. And having a set time in the middle of the day to pray. That's what the Jews did three times a day. Had set times for prayer. Number two, pray at odd times. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. I've learned that, uh, well, I won't tell you that story again because I've told you many times, but you can pray, pray a prayer in your own head. It doesn't have to be audible. You can think a prayer. And you don't, especially if you're driving, you, you can't close your eyes, but you can still pray. You can still pray. I have found, and this happens more and more, the older I get, and many of you have warned me of that, that I rarely sleep all the way through a night. I wake up several times during the night. <clears throat> One thing I love to do is I'll just pray. And I've been praying for Sheila Hudson a lot during those times. There's others I've been praying for. So pray at odd times. Number three, pray micro prayers. Pray micro prayers. Micro, small. Pray about the small things. But fourthly and finally, pray macro prayers. Pray about the big things. Don't just pray for a person's health. Pray for their spiritual well-being. Pray macro prayers. But there is a blessing in prayers, the song we just sang. And the blessing belongs to those who can call God Father. If you need the prayers of the church tonight, it's the greatest thing you can do for another person is to pray. And we love to pray with you and for you. Or if you're ready to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, to become a child of God and have this avenue of prayer through Jesus our high priest, We'd love to assist you in your obedience to the gospel. But won't you come right now as we stand and sing.